the Heartland Theatre Company goes back to the basics with a new radio drama. Lawmakers continue to negotiate a COVID-19 aid package, but they are running short on time. More on these stories. I'm Sierra Henry. And I'm Annalisa Trofmuck. And this is Lee Enterprise's Long Story Short. Thanks for tuning into Long Story Short, where we recap weekly stories reported by Lee Enterprise's Central Illinois journalists. This week, we're going to start off with some information about the long-discussed stimulus package. Lee Enterprise's Central Illinois editor, Chris Coates, put together an easy-to-read breakdown of what to know about the stimulus package updates. Chris writes, the $2.2 trillion pandemic relief package passed in March introduced a host of financial assistance programs, including an extra $600 a week in unemployment benefits and direct cash payments of up to $1,200 to most Americans. A $908 billion bipartisan proposal unveiled this week called for an extra $300 per week in unemployment benefits, but no stimulus checks. The White House later introduced an alternative that would eliminate the extra weekly unemployment benefits in favor of a direct $600 stimulus payment. As lawmakers continue to negotiate, several federal programs tied to the March package are set to expire, while other forms of pandemic relief have been extended. Check out Chris's list of what to know about the stimulus package at any of our three news websites, pantograph.com, herald-review.com, or jg-tc.com. All right, we've got some local government news for you. The Normaltown Council discussed on Monday how to best encourage businesses to follow state-issued COVID-19 guidelines. Town officials say that the vast majority of businesses are following restrictions, but there are some exceptions. The discussion Monday night ended with council members instructing town staff to draft an ordinance to enforce and encourage compliance. Some options included incentives such as reducing the annual liquor license fee for those who follow the rules and possible fines. This week, I took a deep dive look at how COVID-19 restrictions are enforced by various local authorities to give our readers more context on the issue. You can read my city council coverage as well as the in-depth look at how different cities are enforcing restrictions at pantograph.com. The Herald and Review's Valerie Wells reported this week that Richland Community College is receiving a $961,170 grant from the Illinois Community College Board to address education and employment gaps in the African-American community. The grant is a portion of a total $18.7 million grant program that the ICCB has provided to Illinois community colleges under the state's Workforce Equity Initiative. Learn more about the grant and hear from local officials in Val's story at herald-review.com. Decatur Public Schools magnet school applications will be online only this year. Any student living within the Decatur Public Schools boundaries can apply to a magnet school. Programs range from structured environments in which children wear uniforms to a curriculum that encourages independence. You can learn more about each program and submit an application now at dps61.org magnet. Families can submit a single application and rank the programs in order of preference. Applications are due by January 31st, and you can find out more information about this at herald-interview.com. Community members, city employees, and others tuned in Wednesday morning to honor and say their final goodbyes to Mattoon Mayor Tim Gover. Gover, 82, died December 3rd of lingering health issues, according to city officials. He served as the city's mayor for the last decade and was a retired Eastern Illinois University accounting professor. More than two dozen city employees and others lined Gover's funeral procession route Wednesday. You can read JG-TC's report at jg-tc.com to read about Gover's time in office, his life, and memories shared by community members. 
In sports news, reporter Jim Benson had a story this week about Illinois State and Illinois Wesleyan athletic trainers who are adjusting to new demands in the COVID-19 sports world. Ever since mid-March, when COVID-19 shut down college sports, athletic trainers have been forced to pivot and learn things they never imagined, Benson wrote. Hear from ISU's head athletic trainer, John Mudd, and his Illinois Wesleyan counterpart, Bill Koth, and how they have been navigating their jobs during the global pandemic. All right, we got some public safety news to go over. Civil rights attorney Ben Crump and co-counselors Stephen Levin and Andrew Thutt announced Wednesday that they have filed state and federal lawsuits against DCFS, the state, and six DCFS caseworkers in the death of Rika Roundtree. Crump is known for representing the families of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and officer-involved shootings, and his other cases include Trayvon Martin, Ahmaud Arbery, and Michael Brown, as well as the tainted water crisis in Flint, Michigan. The lawsuits state that the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services failed Rika Roundtree, who died January 26, 2019, of peritonitis from intestinal perforation after blunt force trauma. Read reporter Kelsey Watsner's article for more information about what this lawsuit is alleging, as well as information about Rika's case at Panagraph.com. Reporter Kelsey Watsnauer also reported earlier this week she covered the firing of a Forsyth man who was investigated. I said that weird. Reporter Kelsey Watsnauer earlier this week covered the firing of a Forsyth man who was investigated for sexually assaulting two students. The school board for the Unit 5 district in McLean County terminated Jonathan Hovey's employment at Glen Elementary in Normal three months after prosecutors dismissed charges for predatory criminal sexual assault and aggravated criminal sexual abuse in 2019. Read the full story at pantograph.com. <coughs> Reporter Tony Reed for two years has been following the story of the 2018 Macon County Sheriff's election. Tony writes, the question of who was elected Macon County Sheriff two years ago is boiling down to a court battle over just 26 contested ballots. Lawyers for both sides told the judge Thursday that they had largely sorted their way through almost 1,400 contested ballots left over from the 2018 race for sheriff. Now the judge will decide whether certain votes should be counted at all and just who others were cast for. This will determine whether incumbent Dem Tony Brown gets to keep the job or whether he will have to relinquish it to Republican challenger and fellow officer, Lieutenant Jim Root. 26 ballots is what remained after negotiations and are being argued before Champaign County Circuit Court Judge Anna M. Benjamin. Check out Tony's coverage of the trial and the entire two-year dispute at herald-interview.com. And now for some community news. Rivian Automotive is gearing up for a busy production season starting in January. In just a week, the electric vehicle company sold out of its special launch edition models of its R1T pickup and R1S SUV in mid-November, and orders continue to file in. The launch is indicative of a growing hunger for EVs, according to some analysts. Last week, I spoke with Rivian, tech analyst Dan Ives, and local leaders about Rivian's long-awaited launch. You can check out the story as well as photos of the new vehicles to gain some insight to this new market and how it will affect Bloomington Normal area. The Heartland Theater Company took the gift of the Magi to homes across McLean County through radio this season. The COVID-19 pandemic has posed many new challenging hurdles for businesses and groups across the nation. No longer able to perform on the theater stage, the normal-based theater company has gone back to the basics with radio dramas. 
The program aired on WGLT Radio on Friday and is the second of its kind. To learn more about Heartland Theatre Company and its radio dramas, check out Panagraph reporter Lenore Soboto's report at panagraph.com. In this Sunday's edition of The Pantograph, you will see a story about how Bloomington Normal residents are going all out with decorating for the holidays. I spoke with two Bloomington homeowners who set up outdoor displays that are actually light shows timed to Christmas music. We also have a map of 15 central Illinois houses with outdoor decorations that you won't want to miss. You can find that at pantograph.com. All right, folks, we're going to close today's episode by talking about some memorable stories that Annalisa and I have covered uh, over this last year. Uh, But before we get into it, we have a quick announcement for you. So I have some exciting professional news. I got accepted into DePaul University in Chicago. I'm going to be completing a graduate program there. This means I will be leaving the pantograph. This week was my last week here. Um, yeah, I've, I've had a really fun time doing this podcast and reporting here in Bloomington and also at our sister paper, The Herald and Review, and I'm so grateful for our listeners and our readers. So let's talk about... I guess it's a fitting time to talk about memorable stories. Sierra, do you want to talk about some of your favorite stories from this year or just since your time here? Yeah, definitely. There's been um, there's been a lot of stories this year that have kind of come up, of course, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So, I mean, really, there's been a lot of memorable things, but um, some of the top ones that stick out in my mind is back in um, April when we were getting ready for Easter, I interviewed um, Bloomington hairstylists who was spreading um, a really powerful message. And she had actually um, did this charcoal, this really beautiful charcoal um, mural of Jesus in her driveway. And she was just kind of spreading positivity in the community at a time when no one could really get out of their house and no one could really go home and celebrate Easter with their family. Um, I thought that was a really nice story and it was one of um, my favorite features I've written this year. On the other side of it, um, you've all probably realized that we've been doing all of these um, big um, in-depth Midwestern projects with uh, Lee Enterprise reporters across Illinois, Indiana, Wisconsin, and Iowa. And um, our first one, I think, came out in in May, and it had to do with the um, the meat shortage, which really wasn't necessarily a meat shortage. It was um, a backed-up supply chain due to uh, COVID-19 outbreaks in our meatpacking plants that caused... Um, our farmers to not be able to bring their animals to the butcher block and just caused all these, this disruption in the supply chain. Um, I just really enjoyed working on that story with all, with the team of reporters. I think that was one that we did really well. We were all working together and looking at all these meat packing plants. It was, um, and it was a really important story. And I think we've done a lot of really important work with that, with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, other memorable stories would have to be, you know, covering all of the um, protests this summer, um, calling for police reform. And um, that was just, I, I don't think we're ever going to forget that. And um, I really just, it was just a really, it was a tough year, but it was a good year for news. And we just, we had a lot of stories coming out of it. And um, I'm excited to see what happens next year. 
Yeah, so I just like second everything Sierra said. I mean, I I got to work on a lot of those Midwest projects as well, and um, it it's really important work. And I think even just outside of those, we've done important work from our like single offices. Um, I started out the year doing a a project with uh, the Herald Review reporter Tony Reed. We did a, a project about. Um, the Staley Pump House in Decatur and how that was being torn down. And we, we FOIA'd a bunch of documents through the city between emails because there was also there was also the Save the Pump House group. So we kind of started the year off strong with that. And we had so many other interesting stories planned throughout the year. I had a tweet from like January that saying like, I oh, I, I filled out my planner through April, like so excited. Um, and then I, I think I saw that tweet in like June and I was like, LOL, because they all got totally, it went a totally different direction. Some of my favorite, other favorite stories were some that you and I worked on together, Sierra, definitely like really specific stories about like the local impact, like animal adoptions or um, I, we did the stories about marching bands. Some of those like less, I guess, intense stories, but that still served a purpose and that still reached communities that we don't traditionally um, hear from. And being able to keep you informed and being able to hear from people in the community and tell their stories and learn more. I mean, it's, it's, it's a group effort. Like, we're all on the same team. Yeah, and I've always said that if you care about what's happening in your local community and you want to see um, more of that, subscribe to your local newspapers, subscribe to your local publications, because that's where that work comes from. It's not, um, we couldn't do it without the support, and um, we're just really thankful for everyone following us, everyone keeping up to date with everything that we, we've done. We've, we've really done some really innovative things. We've launched three podcasts two COVID-19-related podcasts plus the Long Story Short podcast. We've upped our digital media. Um, we've just really been trying to make this something that people, I guess it's hard news, but something that people want to read and something that people want to stay up with. And I, I, it's it's just really important work. I don't know how else to say it. Um, Annalisa, I, our time is uh, really short, and I've really enjoyed our time working together. You've been a really great friend to me, so I won't. Uh, before I get sentimental, <laughs> I won't. I won't get too much uh, too mushy about it. But why don't you tell me about some of your um, highlights from working with the Herald? <laughs> why don't you tell me about some of your your favorite stories from your time working with the Herald and Review? Yeah. Well, before I say that, it's been it's been great working with you too. I I was very excited when you really wanted to do the podcast. But in in general, it's always good to have like, you know, a, a counterpart to whatever you're reporting on because they can always look at it from a different way. And that kind of leads me right into what your question was. I um a lot of my favorite stories from the Herald interview uh from when I started. I started there in April 2019. And um <laughs> Somewhere, I think like around the summer when I started covering Decatur City Council was when things started to really like get, I don't know, the right word, juicy. <laughs> like things started to get really interesting. And um, I I got to work alongside another reporter at the time, Kennedy Nolan, and we, we did a lot of stories together because um, she was the public safety reporter. So a lot of our stuff, um, there was a lot of crossover, especially at the time. We Recreational cannabis was just 
it was just confirmed that it was legalized, but it was going to be legalized, obviously, January 1st, 2020. So there was a lot of decisions that like local governments had to make as far as dispensaries and um, allowing the recreational sales of, of cannabis in city limits. And there was a lot happening there and DUI enforcement officers. And, and there was just a lot happening. And we jumped at every opportunity with the guidance of, you know, our editors, which was really helpful. Um, but some of my favorite stories outside of that uh, was definitely a story I got to do about Decatur's demolition list. This was like kind of like a follow-up series to a series that Herald Interview did before. Um, and this really should have been a shared byline with Allison Petty, our editor. She was the local news editor in Decatur at the time um, because we we did this together and it was it was awesome. Annalisa's uh, departure from the Pandagraph, we will be having a um, new co-host joining us, and you did get to hear from her last week. Her <laughs> name is Kelsey Watson-Auer, and she is our public safety reporter. Um, so that's going to do it for us today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, as always, if you have anything that you want to talk to us about or anything that you want to tweet us about um if you see any like stories that you thought were like really fantastic this summer this year uh tweet at us my uh, twitter is at pg underscore sierra henry and that's sierra as in sierra nevada s-i-e-r-r-a my Twitter is at Annalisa Tro, A-N-A-L-I-S-A-T-R-O. You can keep up with me. I'm also, you may or may not see my bylines and a couple other Lee stories here and there. Um, TBD. We'll update soon. Um, also, before we let you guys go, if you're enjoying this podcast and our reporting, feel free to subscribe at iTunes or Spotify. Also, check out the subscription options at pantograph.com, herald-interview.com, and jg-tc.com. Thank you all so much again for listening. I've really enjoyed being Sierra's co-host. The show is only going to get better from here. Thanks again, everybody.